Eloquentia perfecta ex machina. Eloquentia perfecta ex machina. Eloquentia perfecta ex machina. Welcome to Eloquentia perfecta ex machina, a podcast series devoted to the teaching of rhetoric and composition with and through a range of media, and focusing on the writing program at St. Louis University. On this podcast, we interview instructors about how and why they use multimodal approaches, and we have instructors interview other instructors about the nuts and bolts of particular tools and assignments. In this episode, Lauren Turbrock returned to the Contemporary Art Museum St. Louis to interview Tim Ude about his exhibition St. Louis Retyped. Lauren talks with Tim about the ways machines, sound, and video transform his process, as well as the necessary physicality of reading and writing. Hi there, this is Lauren, and today I'm back at the Contemporary Art Museum St. Louis, following up with Tim Ude and his exhibition here at the museum, St. Louis Retyped. Hello, Tim. Hi, how are you doing? Great. Um, how's St. Louis been treating you thus far? I've enjoyed my time here quite a bit. It's a, it's a city that I think uh, has caught me by surprise in a good way. Oh, that's good. We don't, we don't hear that very often, <laughs> I don't think. Um, so I was here at the museum a few weeks ago with assistant curator Misa Jeffries, and we talked about the exhibition and your larger project, which is called 100 Novels. Um, and during that discussion, Misa and I briefly touched upon your process and the importance, um, really the central role of the typewriter in your performance. And I, I wanted to dive a little bit deeper with that today. So this podcast is called Eloquentia Perfecta Ex Machina, meaning perfect eloquence from the machine. And we like to focus on the ways we at St. Louis University use multimodal approaches in our teaching and writing. Really, we're trying to consider the composing process not just as a tr transcription of ideas already in our head, but an actual thinking process itself. So, and, and more than that, a thinking process with machines. I'm wondering, why is the machine so important to your project? Specifically because uh, you use either the same exact model as, as the author or as close to it as possible. That's right. If that's right, yeah. So um, what does the machine do for you as a reader and as you retype these novels? Well, I think that, you know, in broad strokes, the machine, the typewriter, as opposed to, say, a computer or something else, but the typewriter specifically connects me physically to the to the words um, that that make up the the novel or the volume of poetry, and I think that um, I've come to appreciate probably even more so, certainly even more so than I I did when I first started that writers see words not just as ideas or abstractions, but as physical things, and so that that the use of the typewriter I think really has brought me closer to that understanding. That idea, like the physical connection or writers seeing words as physical things, can you say more about that? Sure. Well, I think that, um, you know, it's really, so I just finished retyping Marianne Moore's um, complete poems. And, and I think, it, you know, it might be instructive to look at those in the sense that she looks at these words and she handles these words as 
both an abstraction and as a real thing. I mean, her the, the quote that's attributed to her that shows up in the notes, I think, about you know the imaginary garden and the, the real toad. I think that she's talking about words and ideas and the fact that those things exist in two different forms simultaneously. Like they are an abstraction, but they are a real abstraction or they are real with the element of abstraction, depending on which way you want to come at them. And, and so I think that you can really start to appreciate how these things are actual building blocks, that a, a text is not just a, a communication of abstract ideas, but is a physical thing that then leaves a physical impression in our brains like a, something is altered on a cellular or a chemical level or whatever the case might be um, and they're altered by these words as concrete physical things and each time I mean I, I don't know this for sure but it's I would assume that these are all things that you have read multiple times before or at least one time before you sit down to retype it so is it do you notice that as you retype these words that they actually materialize or change physically for you as you're typing them versus when you would have read them previously? Sure. I think that, that you're right. I mean, it is an act of, of rereading while I'm retyping. Everything I've, I've typed or I sit down to type I've read before, which I think is a precondition for, for really... Um, you know, engaging in a thoughtful reading. You know, the first time you read something, you, you gain a lot, um, but most of that is, is really, what you gain is a preparation to, to, to then the actual real deep reading. And so um, I think that when you do, when you are engaged in a, in a serious reading of something, you know, you are not just finding out what you already knew, you, you're, the pleasure of it, the joy of the reading, and, and the ecstatic experience that can sometimes result in it is that you're being, your mind is being transformed. I mean, that's, that's kind of what's happening. I mean, I think it's, it's um, I, mean, I say this without any particular knowledge of biochemistry, but I mean, it's clear that something is going on in your mind, in your brain, that that, that engagement with the, the words is, is causing some chemical reaction. I mean, it's endorphins or whatever it is. I, I don't know. Um, but it's, it's causing you to feel and to have your body feel different. Something else that uh, Misa and I had talked about a few weeks ago was the, there are two, two things. One is when you're not here at the museum and you're typing in, a, in another location, we, there's the sound streaming through. And she had said that that's something new for you for this for this exhibition. Can you say a little bit more about that? What is it about the sound of that streaming through the museum that's so important? I think the 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 sound or the sonic element of of my performances, it's something that I've learned to appreciate as I've I've gone further into it. This and I'm now on novel fifty four or whatever it is. So I've had, you know, five years of of experiencing it and watching how people react. And what I have learned is that often, maybe not always, but often people get the, the best experience 
or the most engaged experience if they hear me before they see me. And that sound can kind of pull people in and you're kind of in the piece before you really understand you're in the piece. And so you're prepared by the time you get there for, for something exciting because you're already excited by that sound, that sound that maybe is something you've heard before or you know, in your distant past or you only know it from watching Mad Men or whatever the case might be. Um, but there is, there, you, you know it, but you don't know it. And so you're curious and it, and it heightens your sense of curiosity. And I think that, you know, um, thanks to Alex, really, we were able to figure out how to then realize something that I've wanted to do for a while, which is when I'm on location, bring the sound back into the museum where the individual diptychs are, are being placed on the wall and where other work that relates to the 100 Novels Project, which I've done in my studio in Los Angeles, is already on the wall. And I think that that's, that's very satisfying to me that we've been able to do it. It's also caused me to realize, just based on talking to the people at the front desk who see people come in and interact with it daily and, and with Misa, that there's still a challenge for me to solve because people think... Um, absent them asking a question, they think they're just hearing a recording. So somehow, I think as I, you know, reiterate or iterate this idea of bringing sound into specific locations or from specific locations into the to the central exhibition space, I want to communicate that that it's live, that mm -hmm. it's happening. Yeah, um, and something else that is I think new for this is wearing the GoPro as well during your performances. So that's about a year old. I started okay. last, uh, I guess it would be last May in Italy. I recorded the first one with this chest-mounted GoPro, which basically is, the, is effectively my point of view. You know, it's, it's, it's a little lower than my eyes, but it gives the impression that it's, it's from my point of view, and it's basically my hands on the typewriter um, in a fairly tight um, field so that that there is going to be, and I'm, I'm working on, I've, I've taken a few shots at it, and I feel like I'm finally onto something by layering, um, so let's say it's 60 hours, right? And, and the battery allows me to record about an hour and a half at a time before I have to switch batteries. So I think what I'm, what I'm moving towards is this idea of, of layering, um, let's say this 20, 20 segments of an hour and a half of two hours of footage, layering those segments in a way um, to, to, to kind of echo the layering process that goes on when I type, over type on the same page. So I'm, I'm working on that. I haven't, I haven't quite solved it yet, but that's, that's why I'm using the GoPro. Okay. And do you, do you find that wearing, wearing the GoPro changes your process at all? Or is it just another thing there? Um, I think it probably has subtly, you know. I mean, it is like somebody's watching you in a way. I mean, I think when I, I, I probably am less conscious of it now just because I've done 10 of them or so with the GoPro on. But certainly initially it was, it was on my mind, like when I would start. Because there's, you have to, you do have to do something. You have to put the battery in. You have to have the chip. You have to transfer the files. There, there is an extra element of just, um, administrative um, detail that has to go on um, and, and there is the curiosity in my mind of well what's going to become of this so as an artist I'm, I am thinking about 
well, what, what's, what, what's going to happen? Like, how is this going to turn out? Um, I think now that I've done so many, um, it's, it's not, I wouldn't say it's a, something that, um, if it changed my perspective, it's probably done that, you know, from the point of view of the actual performance. I think where it still has the, 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 there is the possibility that it could change it more as I really get into actually assembling some of this footage. And I've, the only reason it hasn't really happened yet is because when I first, May to now, I have barely had a moment off from typing, so I haven't had time to sit down and really you know, play with the, the film that mm -hmm. much. But in after September, then I have like a 10-month window where I'm not going to do too many performances because I want, in part, because I want to get at some of this footage and figure out what I'm going to do with it. Yeah, definitely. Um, something else that Misa and I had talked about. So, and you just you mentioned it just now that the fact that this is like this is a demanding project, right? It is requiring a lot of time, and it's physically demanding to just sit all day typing at a typewriter. Um, and and Misa and I had talked about like the actual the physicality of the typewriter, like how hard it is to press down on the keys sometimes. Um, so, so again, a, I, a question that I have is, does that, the physicality of it sitting there day in, day out, doing this hunt and peck kind of typing style, does that change your reading or writing process at all? Well, I think that... I know that I am going to be sitting down and, and typing and reading for, you know, a six or seven or eight hour period. So it's, there is no like, okay, I'm going to read for a half hour and, you know, go walk the dog and, you know, maybe take a nap and come back and read another half hour and then it'll be dinner time. I mean, there, there is a commitment to reading and, and typing when I am doing a performance. Um, which I think is good. I, I, I've actually, this is a bit of a digression, but I kind of, I calculate like how many pages a day, like when I'm trying to figure out, well, how long is a performance and what's my schedule? I back into it based on sort of pages per, per day. Um, and I find that when I put my, my sort of goal up in the high 20s, like 27, 28 to 30, I actually have a better experience than when I take it easy and say, okay, I'm going to get 21 or 22 pages. Assuming the page, I'm, I'm assuming there's a constant in, in it, but, but all thing, other things being equal, I do better when I have a little bit more pressure um, to achieve a page count. Like if it's too many, if it's 40 pages, then you're like, you know, I've done that where I've typed for 11 or 12 hours a day. And then, you know, there is a point where I think the quality of the reading suffers, and I'm not interested in that either. It's more of like a, this slow burn kind of physical thing. It's not, I mean, look, there are people that sat in typing pools for 40 years and typed for eight hours a day. So, I mean, I'm not like, I, it's not a hero's journey necessarily in that regard, but there is a commitment, um, and, and with that commitment, there is sort of this low-level physical kind of requirement that says, okay, this is what I'm doing, which is different, um, you know, from what I'm accustomed to when I'm in the studio, which is I'm on my feet and I'm moving around and I'm, you know, maybe working on a painting or a drawing and, and there is a little more freedom in any given day, whereas when I'm doing a performance, I am committed and it's, it, and in that commitment, 
you know, there is less freedom to do other things. Well, Tim, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciated you sitting down with us and, and talking to us about your process and, and the ways that machines kind of show up in your work and, and what they do. And listeners, if you missed the episode with Misa and would like some background information, it is available on both the website and iTunes. Thanks. If you'd like to get involved in this podcast series, to share an assignment or tool, or even to pitch an interview, please contact me, Nathaniel Rivers, at nathaniel.rivers at slu.edu. Eloquentia perfecta ex machina. Eloquentia perfecta ex machina.